Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website. I acknowledge that we broadcast on stolen, unceded lands of the Rwandari people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge this country's first peoples as the first storytellers of this land and pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that to any First Nations people tuning in this afternoon. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined by writer Paige Clark to speak about her debut book of short stories called She Is Haunted. It is a really incredible collection, a really amazing debut, so I'm very excited to chat with Paige. That one is out through Alan and Unwin, and I'm excited to have my guest joining me. She is Haunted is a new collection of stories by debut Chinese-American-Australian author Paige Clark. These stories focus on the minutiae of daily life as well as exploring larger themes such as transnational Asian identity, intergenerational trauma, the effects of loss and grief, love for animals, in particular dogs, and female friendships. And I have Paige Clark joining me on the line now. Paige, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Bethany. It's a real... It's a real pleasure. I've um, I've loved diving into um, all of these different worlds over the last little while. Um, Paige, would you love to start with a reading? Sure. I'll read um, from a story called Gwendolyn Wake. So this is just the first couple of pages. I'll just pop you right into it. Amazing. Gwendolyn worked at the Department of Recovery. Her specialty was ex-boyfriends, but she reconnected clients with ex-husbands, ex-girlfriends, and ex-fiancés too. Despite her expertise, in her entire 34 years on the planet, Gwendolyn had never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. She had never even, to her knowledge, had a crush. It was not that she was asexual. At night, she dreamt of having sex with a being. She often, insert bodily response to sex act, here. Maybe she was one of those people who fell in love with ghosts. Or maybe all of the work at the Department of Recovery had left her jaded and horny, able only to get off on the tragicomedy that was other people's lives. Her whole life, people had thought Gwendolyn was exceptionally attractive, meaning incredibly Anglo-Saxon. A send-away DNA test revealed she was almost completely Anglo-Saxon, even though those tests usually lied to make very Anglo-Saxon people feel better and said 12% Mediterranean or Polynesian. Gwendolyn herself did not think this trait made her exceptionally attractive. Instead, she thought it made her very boring. She believed women who were very black or very brown or very yellow were very beautiful, though she knew intimately how others fetishized minorities. She knew they thought, insert racist stereotypes here. Callers to the department told her, there were all types of fetishes fetishes about acquiring autoimmune diseases, and fetishes about having sex with ghosts. Maybe this was what gave Gwendolyn the idea that she was sleeping with the celestial being in the first place. The 
That's Paige Clark there um, reading from her book, She is Haunted, um, that story called Gwendolyn Wakes. Paige, I'm so glad you read from that story because it's one of my favourites. It just really stuck with me. You know, you're writing about a woman who works as a data entry person for the state government who helps determine if people's relationships will deteriorate or if they'll have to come to an end completely. A very useful service. I absolutely love that idea. Um, I, I love how in a lot of these stories, you've you've really used kind of this slightly experimental, slightly science fiction um, moments and this kind of like weird and wonderful way of um, capturing some of these stories. In in many ways, it reminds me of um, Carmen Maria Macchiato's Her Body and Other Parties or Nana Kwame's um, Friday Black. Um, you know, this story as well as, you know, another story where you explore, um, you know, brain surgery for a, a method of coping with extreme weather temperatures. Um, you know, you write about uh, spirits communicating very directly um, with the living. I'm interested in, I suppose, those kind of supernatural or um, kind of fantastical elements of the worlds that you create. Can you tell me a little bit about that element to your work and, and how you would describe it? Mm, that's a good question. I was actually thinking about this last night because I was watching Get Out with my partner and he said, oh, this seems like something, a premise that you could come up with. This seems like, you know, the way that that's your so brain true. works. Um, and I was kind of thinking, I have no idea how they did that. And then I was thinking about my own process and I have no idea how I go to those places. It still kind of surprises me. Um, I'll sometimes think of this, you know, oh, what if, um, so with the brain surgery one, for example, I thought, oh, you know, what if, you know, your brain is the organ that uses the most energy in your body? So what if you could remove part of your brain um, and then, you know, you wouldn't get as hot because I'm always overheated. And obviously, you know, climate change is, is a huge issue that I'm thinking about all the time. So it sort of starts with those little premises. Um, and then I don't really know how it happens from there. I think that I just have this sort of instinct uh, that I want to push things really far. Um, I don't even see it as science fiction. Sometimes to me, I'm trying to capture, you know, a truth or a real kind of feeling that's very much of this world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best way to do it is going to these fantastical places. Absolutely. I I absolutely loved kind of delving into those worlds because I can really feel the kind of the root of some of those questions that you're asking like for example with the brain surgery one it is very much about how are we actually going to survive hotter temperatures how are we going to survive living in a world that is you know it's changing very rapidly and it's a very scary thing and you know what you've written is that if you just get rid of a certain part of your brain yes um, you might not remember your partner yes you know you might be very different but you will be able to like be outside and not be like essentially melting because of these extreme um, weather conditions. I think you've done a really amazing job of kind of, yeah, kind of scratching the surface of these really big questions and doing it in a very interesting way. It's very compelling. I, I will never kind of forget these um, these worlds that you've created. I've, I have absolutely loved um, reading about it. You know, I'm interested in, um, I suppose, short story writing as a, as a form. You know, it is a very particular craft. You know, each sentence really holds such importance due to the economy of form. I'm interested, what drew you to short story writing as a, I suppose, a container to explore these ideas? Yeah, I think that short stories, um, they get a lot of, you know, flack as maybe being a stepping stone to a novel. But I actually think that there's a lot of opportunity in short stories to experiment with time, experiment with um, 
you know, language and doing all this work that would become tedious or exhausting in a novel. Um, one of the things I've always said is that I'm a short story writer because I get so sick of myself. Um, I don't know that the longest story in the collection is about 8,000 words. And so I think that that's kind of the maximum that I can sort of stay um, in any one voice before I feel like it's exhausting because I do um, want the readers to have to do that work of kind of, you know, unpicking these the language and unpicking the world and, and you know, working really hard and I love writing like that. Um, and I think that, you know, the form sort of lends itself in this way to sort of jumping in and jumping out of a world that, you know, 200 pages of being in a world where people are missing part of their brains, <laughs> that would be really hard, I think, to stay in that space. So I think that, you know, I always pick stories that I feel like fit the form. And and, and yeah, I'm glad that you've picked up on that. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I haven't I hadn't thought about that, trying to kind of maintain that storyline for maybe that particular story. But it is, uh, I think it's a very, yeah, it is, it's, it's very unique in that way that you can kind of take these ideas, run with it, and then it can be finished. And then you can kind of jump into this next world. You know, there are a bunch of kind of overarching themes that kind of come through within these stories. There is this quite um, dark humour and wit that comes through um, a lot of the stories, you know, despite some touching on some quite heavy themes, you know, about broken relationships, jealousy, death, grief, loss. I'm interested in, I suppose, how you think about humour as a tool to kind of explore some of your ideas. I think that the humour is mostly accidental. When I first started having outside people read my work, you know, they'd say, oh, it's so funny. And I was always shocked by that because I'd be like, oh, no, it's so sad. It's a really <laughs> sad story. Um, but I think that in in my real life, I'm always trying out jokes and they often don't land, mostly because of my delivery, because I laugh at my own jokes. Um, and I want to probably do it even right now when I'm stopping myself. So I think that when I have the time on the page, I can really craft those, you know, witty comebacks or the things that I wish that I'd said. Uh, I actually write them down sometimes. You know, that kind of moment after you've had a conversation where you're like, oh, that I should have really said well. that. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been so funny, but I actually keep, keep, keep notebooks full of those. Um, so I think that that's just kind of my way of making up for not being funny in real life. <laughs> I love it. You're almost writing your type five just as you're going through life. That's great. That's really, that'll come in handy if you ever decide to get into stand-up comedy. Um, yeah, I think that you've, you've used humour in this really great way because, as I said, there are some, you know, quite dark and heavy themes in, in the book. But, yeah, you do bring this kind of lightness to it through this, uh, this humour and wit that you use through your characters. Um, I'd love to talk, I suppose, a little bit more about some of the characters. You know, there is this thread of, um, you know, really strong um, female characters, you know, that they almost in some ways feel like different versions of the same person um, in a few of the stories. I'm interested, can you tell me about, um, I suppose, what kind of ideas you were thinking in terms of um, who was going to be the driver of each story and, and how that kind of process worked for you? Yes, well, a lot of times the voice of the character will just come to me. And I know that sounds like such a cop-out, but a lot of times I can hear how the story is supposed to sound or it's as if this person is talking 
to me or through me. And, you know, I do see a lot of the, especially first person narrators as being, you know, some sort of reflection of myself. I'm not the kind of writer that's interested in doing a lot of research around characters, researching backstories about people that I don't know. So the characters are really amalgamations of myself, of people I know, of things that I'm, you know, really intimately familiar with. And I think that that does come out in the cohesiveness, you know, of the voices of these characters. A lot of short story collections that I really love have that sort of singular authorial voice. And I think that I took a lot of inspiration from those as well. I think that that's what, you know, makes a story collection work, that mm. it's a balance between, you know, being original enough in each story, but also having some sort of threads that connect it so it doesn't feel disjointed. Mm. And I think for me, the easiest way to do that is through is through the voice and, you know, through channeling, I guess, myself in a lot of ways. Mm. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. If you have just joined us, uh, we are chatting with Paige Clark all about her debut collection of short stories called She is Haunted. Paige, I'd love to, I suppose, pick up on that idea that you were talking about, I suppose, them being iterations of yourself or versions or parts of your thinking and that kind of being the overarching thread. I'm interested, I suppose, when you are writing about themes that are kind of a fictionalised reality in some senses, you know, as you said, kind of pulling an idea, pushing an idea as far as you can, that it almost seems um, fantastical or just hyper real. Um, does that change your relationship with your sense of self or perhaps your relationship to your to your characters? Uh, well, there's a quote that I always go back to and I attribute it to Raymond Carver, but I can't haven't ever been able to find it after I've heard it this one time and it's something along the lines of um, I am not all of my characters, but all of my characters are me. Mm. So I think in terms of, you know, coming back to myself that it's very much still an art form. I don't, you know, see this writing as a diary or as catharsis. So, you know, in the ways that I push these characters or what they learn, I still leave them as characters. Mm. I still kind of walk out of my office and then I'm myself uh, with all of my shortcomings and foibles. It's not like I've kind of gone on this miraculous journey. A lot of times I'd say the characters are limited by what I've already experienced. So they don't grow on the page any more than I already have in my real life. Mm. I've been joking that I need to have, you know, more experiences <laughs> so I can write the next book. <laughs> That's a, it's very a hard task right now during the pandemic. Um, but no, that totally makes sense. And I, I love that kind of quote that you just said. I, I suppose I am interested just before you said uh, that some of your favourite short story collections have that kind of overarching authorial voice um, that kind of ties it together. When you are thinking of other short story collections that you've perhaps um, loved or have, you know, informed the ideas for this book in some way, what, what books do you think of? Ellen Van Nerven's Heat and Light is the first collection that comes to mind. I think that it does exactly what I've been talking about, that it has their voice throughout the collection, but at the same time, it's expansive. Mm -hmm. It goes to far away places and then comes right back. Um, so I think that's a great example of that. 
obviously a lot of the 80s minimalist American short fiction writers I'm a big fan of. So the Raymond Carvers and Amy Hempels. Um, and they're doing a very different thing in that their worlds are very insular, but there's that voice that really holds the work together. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said I love Alan Van Evans. Um, I love her, uh, their writing um, and that book in particular. Um, you know, I do want to touch on, I suppose, so many of these stories really hone in on the kind of minutia of daily life around work and relationships, uh, pets. You know, they ask these big questions as we've kind of spoken about, but also do your last space for the reader to kind of contemplate um, these big questions themselves, which I really like. I'm interested if, I suppose, this kind of domestic nature um, of the pandemic, the way that we're living now has impacted the way that um, you've written this book or the way that you write about domestic life. There's a couple of, I guess, not post-pandemic, but stories that I wrote during the pandemic. I think, though, that I've always um, been a person that's very interested in relationships, always interested in the mundane. So I think in that way, the pandemic suits me. <laughs> I, not that it does, but maybe more so than other people. Um, I've struggled, you know, to be creative in this time, which I know is true of so many creatives. But even during the fir- the second Melbourne lockdown, I, you know, was doing some poetry writing, just little kind of line observations. And I think I could do that forever. So I think in that way, I am, you know, sort of suited. I could sit in a room and and just sort of observe little things happening around me all the time. Um, I'm always a kind of person, you know, I'm always looking out windows, always paying attention to what's going on. And maybe that's the kind of writer in me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I'd love to get out of <laughs> the world and, and see a few more <laughs> exciting things. Yes, I feel like we're, we can all very much relate to that. Um, Paige, I'd love to know, I suppose, you know, I've absolutely loved reading this collection. I'm so excited to continue reading your work. Um, what's your writing process been like for you? I suppose we've been talking about pandemic life. How has it impacted the way that you're writing or creating during this weird moment that we're living through? I'm always looking for an excuse to not write. (laughs) I think that's, you know, that's been before the pandemic and always. I'm a deep procrastinator. So unfortunately that the current situation gives me a lot of reasons, you know, not to do things. And I think that for me, it really is about finding deadlines usually are the only thing that works. Um, Finding those little kind of points that you can get to um, throughout your day and just like, I have to get this done. Really small goals um, for me. Sometimes it's, you know, a hundred words. I don't write a hundred words every day. That gives a way better picture of what I'm actually (laughs) doing, but you know, a hundred words a month. Um, So it's just those tiny little deadlines, just getting through it. I'm a very slow writer. So I love that. I think I can definitely relate to that as a fellow procrastinator. Um, Paige, it's been such a joy to chat to you and such a joy to kind of enter all of these different worlds that you've created. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Uh, the wonderful Paige Clark there speaking about her debut short story collection. It is called She Is Haunted and it's out now through Alan and Unwin. You are listening to Triple R. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website, 